thing here. Uh, I look forward to uh, Sunday mornings and being able just to be together with one another. And even though our crowd obviously is much smaller than we were used to probably eight months ago, uh, nevertheless, it's so good to be able to see your faces and to speak to uh, actual human beings rather than to an empty uh, auditorium. And of course, those of you, of you who are in the back in the remote service, we want, we want you to know that we so appreciate you being here and being willing to uh, sacrifice to open up room even in here. Anyway, just good to be together with one another. Let me share with you just some very quick uh, points for you to remember for this uh, coming uh, this month. Remember our virtual prayer summit, October the 18th on Sunday evening at 6 o'clock. We'll be praying for our family, for our, our country, for our congregation. We'll be praying for a lot of, of things. And then uh, you might have noticed last week, for the first time, we were able to post our podcast. And so you can find a conversation that uh, takes place between Clint and myself and Jared as we talk about spiritual matters and, and spiritual uh, things. If you're trying to find how to, you know, where to find it, you can look on Facebook and they'll point you to Buzzsprout and, and just be able to uh, type in Soul to Soul and you'll be able to get to our podcast. And, and it's, a, it's really a good time that we're having with each other there. And we're talking about, like I say, spiritual things that we think will be be helpful to you. And then remember, of course, on Sunday evening at 6 p.m. and then on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m., we're having a Bible study here in the building where we're limited to 50 in the auditorium. And so uh, make sure you register so that you can come and join us here for that time together with one another. I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but ha have you noticed that you can sometimes recognize or identify people simply by the way they walk? It's called, you know, it's called gate recognition. Even while I am speaking, the Chinese, they are developing a technology where they're able to look at a person, how they walk, their peculiar way that they walk, that goes beyond fingerprint recognition, beyond uh, facial recognition, iris or retinal recognition. It's a simple way of which you walk that is unique to you and to you alone which means that you can identify people by their individual gait, their nuance of how they, they walk that separates them from anyone else. And they are saying that this type of recognition is superior to fingerprint recognition or iris or retinal recognition, or facial recognition. It's a, it's a peculiar thing that is to you and to you alone. And so they are working on this thing all the time. In fact, you can probably think of individuals who are somewhat famous who are known for their gait or for how they walk. Take, for instance, John Wayne that is up behind me. John Wayne had a specific way that was deliberate and slow, an interesting way that he walked that when you see him, you recognize that this is John Wayne because no one else walks like John Wayne. Or if you were to go back to yesteryear, uh, back to the days of silent movies, then you probably will recognize this guy behind me, which was Charlie Chaplin. And Charlie Chaplin, he had a very unique way in which he walked that separated him from anyone else. So when you see John Wayne or you see Charlie Chaplin, you know exactly who these people are simply by their walk. If you were to, you know, just cut off their head and just watch them there down how they walk, you know who they are. As asking Clint, so who would you think of when you think of a famous person that walks that is separate and different from anyone else? And he right away said Frankenstein, which is a crazy way to think about when you ask a minister who's a recognized walk and automatically goes to Frankenstein. That's how I look in the middle of the night when I have to get up to go somewhere. I kind of walk like Frankenstein. And so they, they, they simply are just set apart by their gait or by the way they walk. A person is recognized by that. 
In fact, several years ago, I was at Paulshine the pulpit back in East Tennessee. At that particular gathering of Christians, there's almost 7,000 people that are there. All crushed into a convention center, and a guy walks up behind me and taps me on the shoulder, and I turned around, and he says, are you Richard Sutton? This guy was a fellow that I'd went to school with 38 years prior to that. And he was an underclassman, and he recognized me by my walk, or by the way I was standing. He goes, I thought that was you. He goes, I'm sure that was you because of the way you were walking, or the way you were standing. And I thought, what was there about the way I walked or stood that caused him to remember me 38 years later without looking me in the face? His name was Pat Powers, by the way, but, but he's able to recognize that. So it tells me that when you look at people, that there is a physical gait about them that is recognizable. And what is true of us, uh, physically speaking, is also true of us when you talk about our spiritual identity or recognizing who we are and what we are. And so I've been talking to you about embracing your true nature, who you really are, a, a super identifying mark that sets you apart from the rest of the individuals around you. Now, I believe that one of the reasons that Peter uh, talks about our spiritual walk here or our true nature or the divine nature and talking about the seven qualities is that he was looking at Christians around him and there were some things that were going on, the circumstances going on that was causing them to shrink back from their faith. That was causing them to become complacent. And the result of that was is that he is trying to encourage them to, to step up. Well, their circumstance, I believe, was that they were suffering. That there was a persecution going on and because of that persecution these people were shrinking back from walking the walk now we're not being persecuted today but we are going through a pandemic and this pandemic is of such a nature that it's easy for us to shrink back it's easy for us to become lackadaisical or complacent about our walk with jesus or our walk with god and not walk as well as we we can and so like Peter encouraged his readers, I believe he's encouraging us today to look at our circumstance and to ask ourselves, are we walking the walk? Are, how is our spiritual gait going? How are we doing? And so this morning, I want to talk to you about embracing your spiritual gait. Why is that? Because I believe, as Peter did, that it's the responsibility of each individual to grow in their faith, to increase in their faith, to... Uh, move forward in their faith and mature that's our responsibility and listen there are people who are around us who are watching how we walk they're watching our spiritual gate and they're looking for various characteristics that set us apart from those individuals who are around us and so throughout the scriptures as you begin to read into them you'll find that over and over again the scriptures they talk about our spiritual walk they insist that we are to be walking with God, that we are to be growing in our faith, and there are certain things that God expects of us as we spiritually move through this life. And so let me talk to you, share with you some scriptures that have to do with our spiritual gate. Now, there are a number of scriptures that we're going to look through, but, and, and I'm not going to talk a lot about each one. I'm not going to give a lot of commentary, maybe make a few remarks about it, but notice what the scriptures say about our walk. Over your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus chapter 26, and I want you to notice what he says in verses 3 and 4 of this section of scripture. Leviticus 26, verses 3 and 4. Here's what he says. If you walk in my statutes, God's speaking through Moses. If you walk in my statutes 
and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you rains in their season, and the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time of sowing, and you'll eat the bread. He's saying, that, he's saying, listen, if you will walk in my walk, if you'll keep my commandments and my statutes, then I'm going to bless your lives. Look at Psalm 15. Psalm 15. And it's, it, I mean, it's a short verse here, but he says something in verse 2. He says, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks the truth in his heart. God, he just expects that we're going to walk blamelessly and that we're going to walk upright and in truth. One passage that we're all familiar with is found over in Micah chapter 6. Notice what he says here at beginning in verse 8. He says these words, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and now listen to this, and to walk humbly with your God. So how do you walk humbly with your God? Well, to be humble yourself means to submit yourself. So we're submitting to the commandments of God. We're submitting to the will of God. We're submitting to the word of God, making him the master of our lives and listen to what he has to say to us. And not only listening, but then doing them in our lives. Look at Romans, the sixth chapter, Romans chapter six. And I want you to notice beginning in verse three, if you will, and following. Listen to what he says. Do you not know, this is Paul speaking, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, as, uh, that, in order that just as Christ is raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Think about what he's saying there. He's saying that our spiritual birth means that we enter into a new nature, our true nature, that's built around various spiritual qualities, and he calls it newness of life. And even though baptism is this great step forward as believers, it's not the end. It's just the beginning. We're expected to mature. We're expected to grow, to increase in our spirituality, and to walk upright before God. And so baptism is just the beginning of things. There, as we enter into the Lord's body, we're immature. I think back to when you were baptized into Christ and how far you've come uh, since then. I can easily uh, do that. And I can tell you that back in those days, and sometimes even in these days, I find myself slipping back or shrinking back to my old self, where I allowed temptations to overcome me, or where I allowed evil to make encroaches back into my life. There are things, trials treat me differently. And so when we think about our newness of life and our walk in life, we're expected to grow in it. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Notice what he says beginning in verse 1 of that section of Scripture. Ephesians 4 and verse uh, 1. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So he says that we're to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called. 
And then he tells us how, what that walk looks like. It's filled up with humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another and forbearing one another and trying to strive to uh, make sure that the unity of the Spirit is here in the bond uh, of peace. And so there is this walk that we are going through. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Notice what he says beginning in verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then he talks about a walk that should not be a part of our lives. But sexual immorality or all impurity or covetousness must not be named among us as proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which is out of place, but it said, let there be thanksgiving. And then he goes on, but he's talking, once again, about our, our walk. And that our walk should be one that is of, of love. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 of Ephesians 5. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And so he talks that we are to be those who walk in the light. Look at verses 15. Verse 15. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. He goes on to talk about don't be foolish about how you walk through life. Then, of course, there is 1 John, the first chapter, and verse 7. In that passage of Scripture, there he says, Paul the, uh, John the Apostle, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus. His Son cleanses us from all our sins. So that walking in the light, when we do so, equates having fellowship with God and results in the cleansing of our sins. So the Bible over and over again tells us that we are to be walking. Well, the question that we would want to ask ourselves this morning is this. How would you say that you are doing in your spiritual walk? How would you say things are going if you're to be really honest with yourself? Do you sometimes feel yourself uh, not growing spiritually or being uh, stagnant or becoming complacent about your walk? I mean, you get caught up with the world and the things that are are going on has your your walk confirmed that you have embraced those seven qualities that we talked about over the last couple of, of months that divine nature have we filled our lives up you know with things of lesser value I was reading a story about a mother who made the family's favorite meal she you know she cooked the turkey mashed potatoes and gravy green beans sweet potatoes salads uh, all the fixings that normally you would see at Thanksgiving, pumpkin pie and apple pie. The family was so excited, the aroma was filling up the house. That's a, a, a smell that you only feel around Thanksgiving, but she made this special meal as a family where it was able to get together, and they're all excited about it. They're all excited about gathering around the, this sumptuous feast that has been prepared for them. The children are excited, and then the time of the dinner was, came, and they all sat down at the table one of the little boys sat down, you know, and he, he was a little, just a tiny bit late for the call to dinner, and he sat down, and everyone is eating and enjoying the meal, and he sits there, and he's not eating anything. And the reason why he's not eating anything is because he'd been over at his friend's house, and he filled up on a bunch of junk, and now he's not hungry for this special meal. 
what I'm saying to you is that he settled for something good and lost an appetite for, for what was best. And it's so easy for us as Christians to do the exact same thing. There's a lot of good things out in the world. Please don't misunderstand me. There's a lot of good things that are out there in the world, but sometimes we settle for that which is good rather than having an appetite for what is best for us, what is good for us. We sometimes put so much emphasis and focus on our physical lives and not so much on our spiritual lives and, and how we are growing spiritually. The abundant life that we talked about uh, last week and uh, in other weeks, the abundant life of, of enjoying the spiritual, the spiritual things that not only are abundant in this life, but also in the life that is uh, to come. And so how are we doing when it comes down to our spiritual gate? Well, let me just remind you of some of the qualities of our spiritual walk that we have looked at. Moral excellence. Choosing to do that which is right in face of all the temptation and peer pressure that comes at us from our friends and from society itself. There is a lot of things that vies for our attention. And so Peter puts before them, listen, add to your faith moral excellence. And to moral excellence, he says, add to it knowledge. It's hard to do what is morally excellent if you don't want, know what those things are. So we are to know what is right and what is wrong. And the way we're able to decipher what is right and wrong is by looking at our Bibles and, and picking them up and going down through them. And the Bible has numerous lists of what is acceptable conduct in the sight of, of God. I think the knowledge also has to do with having a deepening relationship with God. Not just knowing about God, but knowing what he is about and what he expects of us. Add to your knowledge self-control. If you're going to practice moral, uh, moral excellence and you know what is morally excellent, then it takes self-control to make sure you are doing those things. Self-control stops us from doing the wrong things and it keeps us doing the right things. How are you doing when it comes down to self-control? Or what about perseverance? Perseverance in the midst of trial and temptation. When we are tried, when we find ourselves being tempted to be to being less than morally excellent, are we able to persevere? Are we able to be steadfast in those areas? There's lots of pressure that comes at us from, like I said, our peers. A lot of pressure that comes at us from society it, itself that would cause us to maybe step beyond those things that are right for a Christian to do. How are we persevering? To your perseverance, Peter says, add godliness. And you remember we said that godliness is devotion to God. It's our devotion to God that will motivate us to be moral, to live moral, excellent lives. It's devotion to God that will help us to practice self-control. It's devotion to God that will cause us to persevere. So devotion to God, godliness is super important when we talk about our spiritual gait or our spiritual walk. To that, he says, add brotherly kindness. That's how we interact within the family of God with one another. Are we being affectionate towards one another? Are we being kind to one another? It's so important that that becomes a part of who we are and what we are. That's how we preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace through that of brotherly kindness. Remember that Ephesians 5 says that we are to walk in love, that there are walk as we are supposed to as followers of Jesus. Then finally, we talked about love last week, which was the autograph of God. It's God's own mark. 
It's who he is. First John 4 and verse 8 says that God is love. And as the children of God, we are to walk in that same kind of love. And we talked about the, the sacrifice of, of Jesus where he says, A new commandment I have given to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, so watch you to love one another. So we're to love each other with a sacrificial love. And we don't, it's not, it goes beyond just liking each other. It's one of the very best of one an, for one another. It's one to go the extra mile with one another. So those are the seven qualities of our, our walk. And so I'm just asking you, how are you doing in that? Would you say that you're adding to your faith, to your spiritual gate, those seven qualities that are a unique walking style that is for the Christian alone that separates them and makes them unique from anyone else that you come into contact with? Look at what Peter says as he continues on. After he has shown us the seven qualities, he says, for if these qualities, those seven qualities, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, these qualities, you will never stumble. You'll never fall away. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. So Peter, he goes on to say, okay, as you think about these qualities, then there's some things you need to do. And what is obvious, at least to me, as you read down through that small section of Scripture from verses 8 through 11, is you see that developing a spiritual gate does not automatically happen. It has to be intentional. There has to be a diligence that is, is there. Notice if these qualities are yours and that they are increasing. And then look at verse 10. There he says, be all the more diligent or to make every effort. That's what he's talking about, making every effort to develop your spiritual gait. We are, we are to grow, uh, to increase. In fact, that word increase, where it says that we make every effort to increase, that word means to superabound. We're to go over the top. We're to make extraordinary effort, if you will, in applying these, uh, these spiritual qualities or increasing in these spiritual qualities in our lives. So what we have to do is we have to look, do a checklist, and we have to say, okay, how am I doing with moral excellence? In fact, the other night I was doing that. I was laying in bed, and I was thinking about the seven qualities, and I was saying to myself, how are you doing with these seven qualities, Richard? How are you doing with moral excellence? Are you this way or are you this way? And, and I kind of thought, okay, I'm more like this maybe. How are you doing when it comes down to knowledge? Well, I'm pretty good at knowledge. I know right and wrong. How are you doing with self-control? Are you doing that pretty well or can you work on that? I'm kind of like this on that one. How are you doing when it comes down to perseverance? How are you doing when it comes down to brotherly kindness? How are you doing when it comes down to love? How are you doing in those, those areas? And then be honest with yourself. Are you growing in those qualities of life? Because here's the idea. We don't just have them. We are to be growing and increasing in them. We are to grow in these qualities. And that's why he says, be diligent to make every effort. And if you think about it, what he's talking about, he's talking about practicing it. Practice, practice, 
practice is how you become more agile in your spiritual uh, gait. Think about the seven qualities. Are any of the seven that we need to increase in our lives? Just go down to the seven and just give yourself a checklist. Are you up or are you down? What areas do you need to work in? Take, for instance, again, John Wayne. I said to you that John Wayne had this slow, deliberate walk, which was uniquely different from anyone else. And the question that I thought about as I thought about John Wayne is, did it come natural for the Duke to walk the way he did? Burt Reynolds said that John Wayne developed his walk by looking at Native Americans and how they walk. Generally, the way a person walks, if you hunt at all, as I've done in the past, when you hunt and you're wanting to be quiet in the forest, you're supposed to walk uh, heel to toe. Very slow, very deliberate. He's, Burt Reynolds said the American Indy walks toe to heel. Toe to heel. And if you think about it, when you walk toe to heel, it's almost like you are falling forward when you're walking toe to heel. And that's, if you think about it, that's how John Wayne kind of looked like. He was always kind of a little bit falling forward with his walk. Well, that's how Burt Reynolds said it. Others said, no, that's not how Wayne developed his walk. The Duke broke his leg before he hit it big. And it caused him to walk in an unbalanced way. And then, of course, there were those who said, ah, he wore his pants too tight. Well, I don't know about that one, if that's, that's so. But here's what I do. Most say, when it talks about the way John Wayne walked, is that he practiced, practiced, and practiced his slow, deliberate way of walking until he developed his own unique uh, style that set him apart from anyone else. He practiced and practiced and practiced it. So if you're a person who's saying, you know what, I would like to walk like John Wayne walks, well... Then pull on your cowboy boots that have at least a two-inch high Cuban heels. The boot heel height will make you roll your hips slightly as you walk. For that exaggerated Duke swagger, be sure to move slowly and thoughtfully. Cut your hands across your, uh, your body as you walk and practice, practice, practice. And so, uh, Linda Hilton, you know, when you walk, if you want to walk like John Wayne, then that's how you go about walking like John Wayne. You'll be the only woman around that walks like John Wayne. So, but, it, but the, idea is, my, the idea is simply this, is that it takes practice. Make every act, effort practice, practice, and practice some more to develop your spiritual gait. The only way you get moral excellent is to continue to work at being morally excellent. The only way to have knowledge is to keep on studying the Word of God. Same way with self-control, etc., etc., and Peter, he tells us why. He gives us the reason why we need to increase in these qualities. He says, for if you possess these qualities, in increasing measure, they'll keep you from being ineffective. The word ineffective means to be useless. It's a word to mean, it means to be idle or to be lackadaisical. That's the, that's the idea of this word. He says, they'll keep you from being ineffective or useless. Or unproductive, the word itself means to be unfruitful, or to be uh, barren, or to be stagnant. And so he says, listen, if you increase in these qualities, you will not be ineffective. You will not be unfruitful in the, your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean, our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? What was Jesus about? What was Jesus' mission? What did he do in his life? Did he demonstrate in his life these seven qualities? 
and unworthy seven qualities are part of his life, were they effective? Were they fruitful? Well, all you have to do is look 2,000 years down the line from his life and look how he has in infected or affected or affected the world that is around us. Look at the fruit that is there. So Peter is telling us that when these qualities of moral excellence and self-control and devotion to God and brotherly kindness and love become a part of who we are, it says we become productive and we become effective, which means we impact every aspect of society in which we live. Because all of us have a certain circle of influence that we impact. And so if we're truly the light of the world and the salt of the earth and these, these qualities are a part of us, then we become effective in our society. And our impact will also affect the lost. It will be fruitful even in the lost. They'll see a different walk that they want to take on in their lives. Notice he says, for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from uh, their sins, our former sins. I like the way the New International Version says, for he who does not have these qualities is blind and short-sighted. Or the New Living Translation, for he who does, doesn't develop these qualities are blind and short-sighted. The idea of being blind or short-sighted comes from this interesting uh, Greek word, mupazo, and, it, apazo, and it, it's a word that means to blink or to shut your eyes. And so what he's saying, or Peter's saying, is he says, those who are not increasing in these qualities, they're useless, they're ineffective, and they're short-sighted. They're blind to what they need to be. They have forgotten important things of what God has done for them. When I looked at this section of Scripture, I thought, okay, there's probably three things that Peter is probably driving at, one with an emphasis. One is, is they, they don't see the advantage of possessing these qualities in their lives. They don't see how it's going to get them uh, to move forward in the world in which they live, and so they jettison the qualities of the spiritual nature, the true nature, and they instead take on the qualities of the world around them. They're looking only at the here and now with no vision for the future in terms of eternity. They're living just for the now, just for what they can get for the now. Why? Well, we only live once. Well, no, you, you live forever. You live for a little while here, you live forever there in eternity. And so uh, Peter, I think, is saying to them, you need to increase in these qualities. Don't be short-sighted. There's more to just this life than just what is uh, appearing to you, physically speaking. And then I think the one that I think he's really trying to drive at is most important. Uh, they're closing their eyes to what God has done for them, uh, cleansing them of their sins. And if you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, what you'll see there, it says, We were dead in our transgressions and sin, in which we once formerly walked, according to the prince of the power there, which is now working in the sons of disobedience. And that's how you once walked in, in your life. You were dead spiritually. But because of God's great love and mercy, he has raised us up in Christ Jesus, seated us in heavenly places. You didn't do this on your own. But the grace of God has brought you there. And then he goes on to say that we have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. We have been created in Christ Jesus to walk a different life that recognizes what has been done for us, that we could not save ourselves. Fellas, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, for those of you who are, have been um, helping us get our minds 
framed for the Lord's Supper, I want to encourage you to maybe spend a little more, more time during that, that period. I'm not just talking about just your thoughts at the table, okay? I'm talking about as we partake of the emblems themselves, is that we pause more than, say, 20 seconds. Let's give it at least a minute. Just a minute for us to uh, think about the body of Christ that was given on the cross for us, a sinless body, and to think about what a great sacrifice that was, to think about how effective the blood of Jesus was in cleansing us of our sins. So I just want to encourage you that when you lead the Lord's, I'm not fussing at you, okay? I'm just asking you just to encourage that and to encourage us to spend more than just a few seconds and, and collect our thoughts and to meditate upon the sacrifice of Jesus for, uh, for us. The cleansing, uh, I mean, that is so important to what Jesus has done for us, to remember that we could not sit here safe and at peace with God and worship him without that blood cleansing us of our, our sins. So don't be blindsided. Don't forget what God has done uh, for you. Therefore, he says, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to be certain about his calling and choosing of you, for as long as you practice these things, these qualities, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied for you. Therefore, because of everything I've said previous to this, therefore, he says, be all the more diligent to make every, some church says, to make every effort. Others say to, uh, to hasten to. I like the way the New, the New Living Translation says it. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among, God's, uh, among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. I think that says it's so simple that anyone can understand that, that we need to prove ourselves that to those who are around us as they watch our spiritual gate, that we truly are the called of God. Embrace these qualities. Make them a part of your spiritual gate. Work hard to prove that you are among God's called. Develop the qualities in your life. Why? So you'll never fall away. And then he says, if you do that, there will be a grand entrance. You'll, you'll have, you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of God. So by embracing these, these qualities, we can be assured that we are going not be useless or ineffective or unproductive. By embracing these qualities, we will never stumble. We will never fall away. By embracing these qualities, John, or John says, or Peter says, we will receive a rich welcome into heaven itself. And isn't that our goal? Isn't that where we want to go? If we become comfortable with our spiritual walk, as we are with our physical walk, when we become comfortable with our spiritual walk, when we walk into the gates of heaven, we'll be recognizable. We will stand out. God will know that we are his children because of how we walk. As we conclude this series, you might have been thinking to yourself, okay, you've just hammered and hammered and hammered week after week these seven qualities why are these things so important why are they so important and the answer is because god has a plan for you i want you to think in your mind about a six-year-old boy by the name of kevin he's six years old his parents have enrolled him into music lessons to learn how to play a guitar 
So Kevin, he begins practicing on his guitars. He's got little fingers, you know, and he's, he's working, little fingers, and he's practicing Home on the Range or Bonanza. Dun, da, da, dun, da, da, dun, da, da, dun, da, dun, dun. I could even do that, by the way. But he's practicing that. But as he's practicing it, he's six years old. He wants to play, and he looks out the window, and he sees across the street in the, in the, the, the park his friends out there playing football or playing baseball, or playing tag, and he hates it. They're out there having fun, and he's in there having to practice a guitar where his fingers fumble all over the place. He can't seem to get the chords right. It's just terrible. He doesn't have any fun. And then one afternoon, an angel comes to him, and the angel takes him on a vision quest. And he takes him to a great concert hall, Carnegie Hall, and there there is a guitar virtuoso that is on the stage playing classical guitar. The boy thinks to himself, classical guitar, that's the last thing I want to go listen to. But there he is listening to classical guitar as he sits there and he watches this man on stage play, and he is amazed at how easily he plays this guitar. His fingers are nimble. They glide over the chords, and, and he strums with effortlessly, and he makes this beautiful noise uh, come out. It's incredible what he has seen. He, he can't believe how easy this guy makes it look. And then he's back with the angel, and the vision ends. And the angel says to the little boy, he goes, what did you think? And the little six-year-old Kevin says, Wow. That was incredible. Who was he? And the angel said to him, Well, Kevin, that was you in a few years. But you must practice, practice, and practice. That's us. We're like Kevin. God has a plan. God knows who we are now and what we are to become, the purpose of the spiritual disciplines is that God is conforming us into the image of his son. He's transforming our lives. He's taken who we are, who are just beginners in many ways, and he's turning us into virtuosos. It comes down to how we walk our spiritual lives. And God's end result is that he wants to spend eternity with you. Those who walk with God always reach their destination, but it comes by embracing your true nature and who you really are. So since you only have one life to live and your spiritual walk is a choice, won't you surrender the remaining time of your life and give it over to Jesus and become productive in his kingdom? Walk. Embrace your true nature. Consider these thoughts, consider this series, and how you might apply it to your lives and to your spiritual gate. What together we stand and sing, and you respond as you see necessary. I cannot do.